0: and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and Shalom. I'm Monty Judah with Lion of Land Ministries. Welcome to our program, Revealing the Book of Revelation. And we are deep into the series of it. Without any further ado, let me turn your attention to Revelation chapter 17. We have just completed the review of the seven plagues. So we have covered the seven seals, with the seven trumpets, the seven plagues. Again, this integrated judgment. Uh, and we're now at the end of that and so the next question is well what in the world could the book possibly present to us at this point well we're getting ready to see in these next two chapters that this is the end product in other words all these judgments have been poured out so what does that result in and god is going to be specifying this was the ultimate goal this was the judgment that i wanted to execute and so he describes uh, who is judged, the manner they were judged, and why did they judge, and, and the results of the judgment. So with that introduction, join with me now at chapter 17, and verse 1, it says, And one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls came up and spoke to me, saying, Come here, I shall show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. If you remember, we just finished... Uh, The plague judgments. Well, one of those angels that had those comes up is now going to explain, here's the end result. Here's what happened as a result of the seal judgments, the trump judgments, and finally the plague judgments. Here's the result of what was going on. Verse 2 now, chapter 17. With whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality, and he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, and having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. Upon her forehead a name was written, A mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Yeshua. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I shall tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her which has the seven heads and the ten horns. And the beast which you saw was and is not and is about to come out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth will wonder whose name was not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that he was and is not and will um, come. So before we go any more, we're being introduced to the the person, the entity that is being judged, that's been judged. And it's referred to as a woman sitting on a beast, and the name is Babylon the Great. And apparently she is um, a harlot and also has many daughters. And so you have this entity, and then apparently the beast, referring back to chapter 13, the anti-Messiah beast, rises up in the midst of her, and, and that's how he comes to power. It's part and the the, the, the verbiage that says how he's got um, these uh, seven heads and uh, ten horns. Is, is the language of that. Now, right off the bat, if you have seven heads and you have ten horns, how do you arrange the horns on the head? You know, that's almost one of the natural questions because it's not a symmetrical number uh, for it. We'll address that in just a little bit as to how that fits. The real question here is, who in the world is this Babylon the Great? Who is this woman that God has so purposely judged? Because all of the judgments that we hear described now in the book of Revelation have essentially been purposed and put on her. So the question is, well, who in the world is that? Now, there's a couple of clues for us to help us to answer that question. One of the clues, it says it's a woman riding on a beast, on an animal. A woman riding on an animal, and there's some colors and so forth associated with it. And there's other explanations that come from it. There's other descriptions in the Bible that talk about Babylon that track with what we hear in the book of Revelation. Two very powerful places. One is in Jeremiah, and the other was in the prophet Isaiah. And if you'll recall, going back, those particular prophets, in the day that they lived, Babylon was an entity. It was a nation. That was having to deal with with Israel and this ancient nation um, that dealt with Israel did much harm to Israel and was in conflict with the God of Israel and somehow or another what happened historically has been brought forward to be a bigger description of an issue that God has with the whole world at the end of the world. So let me, before I read you some parallel passages that help to give identifying clues, let me just get to the punchline. The woman riding the beast, you can find that symbol, it's in the world today. That is Europa. That is the woman riding on top of a bull, which is the symbol for all of Europe. And that's where the word Europe comes from. It's Europa. Europa. Uh, that is the woman riding the beast it is from those nations of Europe and they were first led by Rome and they have have basically been the basis of all the Western nations of the world you do know that the United States is simply an extension of that you know if you go to Washington DC I can tell you what you're gonna find all the governmental buildings are Roman architecture buildings we have a Senate, just like the Romans did. Parliamentary actions, which is you know our House of Representatives, and also is in Europe. All of the governmental processes and the leadership processes that are used in Europe, the Western nations, and the United States—they all originate from the Roman Empire, which gets its sensuality and all of its other stuff from ancient Babylon. The Babylon has had far more effect uh, from a cultural standpoint on the world than people realize. It is the basis for a lot of things of the Roman Greco world. Um, Babylon was at odds with Persia, and the Greeks were at great odds with Persia. And so when the Greeks came and destroyed the Persians, the Persian Empire... There was a lot of Babylonian things that made their way over, and not the least of which is Babylon was known for its, quote, sensuality, its love of pleasure. And so the pleasurable nature of the culture and the land, for example, in the Roman Empire, uh, the baths, the, the way they viewed things, how they viewed riches and palaces and so forth, that all originated from Babylon. That was the first ancient peoples uh, that began to do that and assert that. Um, one of the famous things about Babylon a lot of people don't know is what they call the hanging gardens of Babylon. They actually constructed the city in such a way with an irrigation system, a water distribution system, and they had Plants growing at all different levels all over the city that made it a luscious, um, beautiful place to be in the city and be on the streets. And and it was uh, gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was full of merchants, and all kinds of peoples came. And it was like the very best of all cities in the ancient world and based there on the Euphrates River. And it emphasized sensuality as opposed to, in secularism, as opposed to a religion. In other words, a lot of people were religious in their values and culture. This one is more into pure pleasure. Well, those cultural trends made their way into the Romans, made their way into Europe, and hello, United States of America. Here we are, and we are entrenched Uh, And our culture is absolutely embedded with the thinking of what Babylon was originally all about, what the Romans were originally all about. And essentially, I believe the proper interpretation of Babylon the Great is all of the Western nations of the world. If you'll you'll take note, the... the, um, the faith, the gospel, primarily went to the Western nations, not that it didn't go to the other nations, but it took hold, and the church took hold, in the Western nations, particularly Rome, in the form of the Holy Roman Empire. And that became the the main thing that basically took control over the world. We call it colonialism or imperialism, and the the Europeans... Uh, all of the French, the Dutch, the the English, and so forth, they began to explore the world, and a lot of other people in the world, other nations, and so forth, became colonies of those nations. They had the control over; it. they were they were world-wide uh, uh, influences on on a multitude of nations, and so you have this massive power over the world and over mankind, and it originates from Babylon. So the scriptures are talking about Babylon the Great. This is the world system that was set up against God uh, to take control of it and has influenced a lot of people. Now, let me review again for you that Babylon the Great is hated by the Lord because it has made uh, the woman, has made the blood of the saints um, to be shed, and it's brought about a drunkenness. Uh, over the whole world, uh, meaning that they don't think clearly, their thinking is distorted, and 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 sensuality has led them down to the path that's going to lead them ultimately to destruction. And so he's specifically taking issue with them. I do want to take you to Jeremiah uh, chapter 51 at this point, and I want to show you... Um, a parallel passage to what we just read. In Jeremiah chapter 51, Jeremiah was a contemporary of Babylon. In fact, he's the one that prophesied that Babylon would be coming and taking captive the remnant of Judah. And if you remember, Judah was destroyed by Babylon. They destroyed the temple. And they took the remnant of Judah captive the Babylon, but only for 70 years. The prophecy was from Jeremiah that they would be in captivity for 70 years because they had not kept the sabbatical year they give the land its rest every seven years. And they had been in the land for 490 years. And so he prophesied, because you've not kept the sabbatical year every seven years, your captivity will be 70 years. Uh, at the end of that, we have Daniel come on the scene who's in Babylon. He sees the return. We have Nehemiah coming back, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. We see the second, uh, second temple being built by Zerubbabel. You know, that's put everything in the context of history. Um, But Jeremiah is the one who prophesied there would be destruction to Jerusalem and the temple and that they would go into captivity. So he's speaking of Babylon, and he's talking about the sins that they've committed against Israel, and this is essentially a description of Babylon that you're going to find in Revelation. Chapter 51, beginning at verse 5, let me begin there. For neither Israel nor Judah has been forsaken. Now, listen to that. At that point, Jeremiah was the two houses of Israel, the northern kingdom, southern kingdom, the house of Ephraim, the house of Israel, versus the house of Judah, the southern kingdom. And he's saying they've not been forsaken. Now, we know they've been judged, but they haven't been forsaken. By God, the Lord of hosts, although their land is full of guilt before the Holy One of Israel, So the Lord has judged Israel, dividing them into two houses because of their sins against the land. But he's not forsaken his people. That's a very interesting point there uh, to be made. And so he goes on to say, verse 6, flee from the midst of Babylon and each of you save his life. Do not be destroyed in her punishment, for this is the Lord's time of vengeance. He's going to render recompense to her. Babylon has been a golden cup in the hand of the Lord, intoxicating all of the earth. The nations have drunk of her wine. Therefore, the nations are going mad. Suddenly, Babylon has fallen and been broken. Wail over her. Bring balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We applied the healing to Babylon, but she was not healed. Forsake her and let each of you go to his own country, for her judgment has reached to heaven and towers up to the very skies. The Lord has brought about our vindication. Come and let us recount in Zion the work of the Lord of our God. Now, Israel has misbehaved. No question about it. And the Lord has brought a certain amount of judgment upon Israel, dividing them into two houses, scattering them in the world, and so forth. But in the case of Babylon, it's beyond that. Babylon has misbehaved to such a point, and the sin has been not only against Israel, but to the whole world. That God says, I'm going to pour out a very special judgment upon Babylon for it. Let me take you to another passage that deals with this, the prophet Isaiah. and Isaiah chapter uh, 47, there's several um, places I want to read to you, beginning at chapter 47, beginning at verse 1. Listen to this language. This is Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was the one who prophesied that there was a day coming when Judah would be taken captive by Babylon. And at the time that Isaiah was operating, Babylon and Israel got along fine. But if you remember, there was a story about some representatives from Babylon who came to Israel. And King Hezekiah made the mistake of kind of showing them the treasures of the land. He showed them the treasure house and the gold and the temple and all of the wonderful things that was in Israel at that time. And Isaiah chastised him and said, all you've done is incentivized Babylon to come one day and steal all of it. That's all you've done. And that was his prophecy to it. So Isaiah went on to speak of judgments that would be happening in the world, and he speaks of judgments that will come upon Babylon uh, as a result of some of their misdeeds. So him, and by the way, the people of Babylon are called the Chaldeans. And in Iraq today... There are certain people who assert they are Chaldeans, and that's a very select group. What they're saying is we're part of the original Babylon, are the Chaldeans. Um, I had a very interesting personal experience. I think the Lord set this up for me to get some understanding with regard to this. There was an exchange student when I was in the Navy that was needing a sponsor, uh, to help this exchange he was from Iraq and um, and so he was a single guy, he was a very mild mannered fellow, and I felt and this is back when Iraq got along with the uh, with the United States very well, and um, so um, I invited him and worked with him, and I became a sponsor for him and he actually dwelt in my apartment for a while you know, while he was going to school and getting his paperwork done and things like that. And so I got to know him. And we, his name was Shmuel, but we called him Sam. And um, as a result of that short time I had with him, he, I got to know him a lot better. And one of the things he used to emphasize, I'm not Iraqi, I'm Chaldean. And he was very proud of the fact that he was Chaldean. Now, here's the interesting part. In Babylon, they when they took... Uh, Judah captive, they also took all the vessels of the temple. Well, later on when Judah returned, the vessels of the temple were returned. You remember that story about when Cyrus came and so forth, why he returned all the vessels of the temple and they came back with Nehemiah. So here I am with Sam, who's this Chaldean, and he wants to give me a gift uh, for me helping him out. So you know what he goes down and he gets me? My very first Kiddush cup. He gave me a Kiddush cup that you would render the blessing on Sabbath with. And in those days, uh, I didn't really know that much about my Hebraic heritage and so forth. But I knew that cup was significant, and I still have that cup. And it's a reminder to me that some of the holy vessels have come back from the Chaldeans to the house of Judah. You know, just like acting out. So when I've read this history, I kind of have my own little personal uh, testimony and flair of this because I've considered that cup to be a very special gift uh, that I received uh, from it. And then, of course, as I became messianic and then learned how important Kiddush cups are, And what they're used for, it it became, it had even more significance uh, to me in my home. So now we're going to look at what Isaiah has to say about the Babylonians. And here's in chapter 47, this is what he has to say Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Remove your veil, strip off the skirt, uncover the leg, cross the rivers. Your nakedness will be uncovered. Your shame also will be exposed. And I will take vengeance and will not spare a man. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit silently and go into darkness, O daughters of the Chaldeans, For you will no more be called the queen of kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage, and I gave them into your hand. You did not show mercy to them. On the aged, you made your yoke very heavy. Yet you said, I shall be queen forever. These things you did not consider, nor remember the outcome of them. Now then hear this, you sensual one. Who dwells securely, who says in your heart, I am, and there is no one beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know loss of children. But these two things shall come on you suddenly in one day. Loss of children and widowhood. They shall come on you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries, in spite of the great power of your spells, and you felt secure in your wickedness, and said, No one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you. For you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one beside me. But evil will come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away, and disaster will fall on you for which you cannot atone, and destruction about which you do not know will come on you suddenly. Now, with that background from both Jeremiah and Isaiah speaking of a future judgment, now let us go back to Revelation chapter 17. We've been introduced to Babylon the Great, and we're being introduced that God has purposed to judge Babylon. By the way, this book of Revelation is not just an extension of Jeremiah and Isaiah. Jeremiah and Isaiah were actually prophesying about what's going to take place at the end of the ages. How Babylon the Great was going to be the focus of judgment. And, and it's been given in such a way so that we have an ancient name that represents many things, but we apply the name suddenly to nations and to civilizations and world powers that fit Oh, by the way, let me just go ahead and tell you, all of the Western nations fit perfectly the description of Babylon. The United States of America, in particular, fits the description of Babylon. Um, I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that when the final judgments of the Great Tribulation fall, when the judgments all fall, the United States of America is going to get hit very, very hard. Did you note that one thing in there where Isaiah or excuse me, Revelation is talking about pray for healing, perhaps you will be healed? How many of you in the course of your lifetime have heard various religious leaders, churches, and so forth quote that verse out of Second Chronicles 7, 14? If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. and so How many times have you heard that prayer request and go out? And how many times has God healed us and returned us back? Or have we not continued to go on exactly as we've been doing? It's like that verse, whether people realize it or not, you're actually fulfilling the prophecy, oh, pray and see if you might be healed. Because I can tell you what the answer is, God's not going to heal the land. This land is set for judgment. It's like destined for the end of the ages. And by the way, when we get up to uh, here a little bit, next chapter you're going to hear God say to his people, come up out of her and have nothing to do with her anymore. Part of the great escape, the greater exodus, is to get yourself out and extract yourself from the influences of the world and the influences of Babylon. Babylon. That's part of the reason why we escape. We have to get away from Babylon because Babylon is about to get judged. And that's the reason why we escape and leave them for it. And so it's telling us about this great judgment from God that falls upon Babylon. Now, there's some references to the beast in chapter 17. You know, the beast that the woman is riding, okay? And some additional information is given about the beast. In fact, it's called a riddle. There's a riddle that is given about here, and beginning at verse 9. Chapter 17, verse 9, it says, Here is the mind which has wisdom. Now stop right there. If you go back to Revelation chapter 13 and uh, verse 18, it started off by giving you a clue about the beast by saying, Here, here is wisdom. Now here in chapter seventeen he gives that same clue again and he says, Here's the mind which has wisdom. So we're talking about the same subject. We're talking about identifying characteristics of who the beast is, who the anti Messiah is. This is a clue. Just like the Messiah came to us and there were three signs that identified the Messiah as as being sent by the Father and so forth, there are three clues. About the Antimessiah. There's a series of these that we use to identify him before he's truly revealed to the world. And this is one of them. This is a fascinating riddle. Let me read it to you. Chapter um, 17, verse 9. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And they are seven kings, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come, and when he comes he remains a little while. And the beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth, and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings, who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with a beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Before we go any further, there's a lot of information here. Now, the riddle is we saw the seven heads and ten thorn, and ten horns. And it's really, the interpretation's being given to us now. And he's saying, what we're talking about is the seven heads, those are seven hills or seven mountains where the beast uh, reigns from. And then the ten horns, those are ten kings, and they give their power to the beast to make him come to power. In other references of scripture, let me tell you about the ten horns first. It says there's ten horns, or ten kings. Seven give their power to him. Three are opposed to him. This is from Daniel. And the beast overcomes the three. He uproots the three, and the other seven prevail in giving him the power. So this is telling us how the beast comes to power. That there's this thing that builds up for it, but there's a struggle and there's conflict when he comes to power, and that we'll see the ten kings, and we'll see three uprooted, and the other seven will prevail, and they will give their power uh, to him for him to be able to rule. Uh, as it. And his, if you will, the, the basis of this governmental system is going to be in a city that says seven hills. There's no question by any Bible interpreter on this one, Everyone who has ever studied any eschatology and knows anything about world history, when you, see a, when you say the words, a city with seven hills, everybody knows we're talking about Rome. Rome is the city of seven hills. And the whole nature of the Roman story, the ancient Roman story of, of how they came to be, is based on that understanding about those seven hills so he's essentially saying that the power base that is is being the undergirding of the 10 kings is coming from rome and that they then elevate the anti-Messiah. three of them are uprooted seven give their power and that's how he comes to power now you're all saying to yourself well what's rome is italy you know uh, you're misunderstanding the history of babylon the whole the Roman Empire ruled the world. And by the way, the remnants of the Western nations are still part of the ancient Roman Empire. Um, we still have the same laws, we have the same rules, we, we you know it's still part of that. And it's our history, and that's who we are as a people. In fact, most of the languages that we speak in the Western world, like uh, English and German and French and, and Dutch, and so forth, you know what they originate from? Latin. They're called the Romantic languages. They all originate from Latin. If you want to do a study on language and really want to increase your vocabulary and position yourself to be able to learn all the different European languages, just go take courses in Latin. When I was in high school, I took two years of Latin. You wouldn't believe the number of words that we have in and around our language, which is based on it. By the way, all medical terms come from Latin. All legal terms come from Latin that are used in the English language. Quid pro quo, you know. You get this in exchange for that. I'm talking Latin. E plurbius unum, out of many, one. The motto of the United States is a Latin expression. It's the original Roman language. Don't tell me Rome doesn't have influence on the world. The influence on the world is pervasive, and a lot of people have no idea as to what is literally the foundation of the Western nations. And it originates from Rome. And so it's saying the power base... For all of these Western nations comes from a city on seven hills. And it's this woman riding the beast. That's Europe. And the European influence on colonialization and and to the extent of the United States. That's the reason why people, we go back and forth very easily uh, between Europe and the United States and we get along real well with each other. That's the reason why the United States went to war against Germany to save Europe. We, those, we originate from those peoples. Now, for those of you who do Ancestry.com or 23andMe, you will find a lot of us, people that are here in the, in the country, that's where we originate from. You know, Before this country came to be, that's where our ancestors came from. So we're ingrained. We're part of that world that has extended from the Roman Empire. There is, the Roman Empire, of course, was Caesar and, and all of those, but it transformed. They went through a huge change and it became the Holy Roman Empire. And that's when Christianity came in. The Romans decided to use Christianity as their state religion. And um, that's, it, it literally is the reason why that we have the Holy Roman Catholic Church. Is because it was the, the, the state was now mixed with the religion and it became a world religion and became a world power. Uh, pull, pulling all of it together, if I needed to come up with one description that pulls all of it together from history, what would I call it? Babylon the Great. And that's essentially what the Bible has done. Um, you know, John, who wrote this. You know was a part was part of the the Roman world when he did he could have called it the Roman world, but instead he gave us a much stronger brevity and he tied in the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and these future prophecies of judgment upon Babylon and saw them as being a part of even the world he was in and the future world that would be to the last generation um, so here's this riddle. And let's uh, review it again. We've kind of explained the interpretation because um, it says, uh, verse 14, these will wage war with the Lamb. The Lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. And he said, and he said to him, the waters which you saw, where the harlots sits, are peoples of multitudes and nations and tongues. The ten horns which you saw, and the beast, these will hate the harlot, will make her desolate and naked, and you will eat her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put in her hearts to execute his purpose for having a common purpose by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God should be fulfilled. And the woman who you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Remember me telling you about the ten horns and three were uprooted and there's conflict? Well, there's also conflict within Babylon. There's a secular Babylon, the sensuous, the original Babylon. But Babylon has become religious. The Holy Roman Empire. That's a religious entity and from um, christianity in the most broadest sense has become catholic and and pro- protestants and protestants are nothing more than the harlot daughters because the protestants all originate from the catholics you know in fact to this day uh, one of the great ironies of explaining what a protestant really is is the pope and the catholic church is willing to tell you point blank uh, we changed the Sabbath to Sunday. There's no commandment that's said to do it. We used the exercise, the, exercise, the authority of the church fathers to change it to, to Sunday. So when I hear Protestants going around saying, well, we don't follow the Pope and we don't follow the Catholic Church, yes, you do. You just are protesting. But the fact of the matter is that you've left the, left the Sabbath that God made, and you've gone to the day of worship that the, the Holy Roman Empire came up with. And you're still following them, and you're still submitting to the authority of the church fathers instead of to the Lord. So any ta- and that's just one doctrine. You ought to hear the rest that continues to pervade. So that's the reason why I've always said to people, I said there's two types of Christians in the world. There's Catholics and protesting Catholics. What Connolly's called Protestant. And if you take every uh, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, whatever, you can group them all together and call them all Protestants. Because that's what they are. They're protesting Catholics. And they just don't agree with everything that the Pope um, has declared throughout the years. All right, so... Let me get back to this one other part here about the because the riddle is about the beast himself there's something about his name in the midst of this riddle it's in verse 11 the beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven and he goes to destruction wow Um, It has to do with seven particular kings. And it says that five were, one is, and the seventh one is there, but only for a short time. The beast, he is the eighth, but he's also one of the seven. Do you see the riddle? Now, if you knew the name and you know the proper history it's a perfect description that helps to identify this individual completely different from all other people now i have i have an idea on how to solve this riddle but i'm not going to stand here or, or sit here in this case and and demand that this is the proper interpretation i'm saying it is a possible interpretation so i offer some counsel with regard to we still must examine because this is just one clue to help us to identify the anti before he's revealed to the world when you go back and you look at the holy roman empire there's one particular thing that stands out and what stands out in fact you can go to the world book encyclopedia you can go to wikipedia and you can ask and define the holy roman empire to me and this is how they're going to define it They're going to say it was seven emperors and seven kings. And they share something in common. They all have the name Charles. The first one was Charlemagne, which is the name for Charles. And the first five emperors, the Holy Roman they all were named Charles. And they all had very long reigns. In other words, a whole lifetime of reigning as emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. And then the sixth one was a particular one of what is called the Habsburg line. And if you go back and look in at ancient ancestries, very significant line called the Habsburg line. This riddle seems to say that he's one of that. He is one of the seven but he's actually the 8th Charles. Now, the 7th one was the emperor, and he was only there for a very short time, and he died. So the description that's given here, you can go to the encyclopedia, and you will find that it's the matching description for the Holy Roman Empire. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually amazing how this description is in fact the same description trying to explain what is the Holy Roman Empire about. And so we're looking for a person, are you ready for this, that has the name Charles. And that is a descendant of one of those seven, in particular the sixth one. We're looking for somebody who's a descendant of the sixth one, the one that he is. And so, as I mentioned to you before, When we were back in Revelation 13, there's an amazing coincidence that the name Prince Charles of Wales in the Hebrew Gematria, and using the Gematria even in English, his name, his title, equals 666 in the Hebrew Gematria. So how does he line up with this riddle? Well, if you go back and check the ancestry of Prince Charles, you're going to find out that he originates from the Holy Roman Empire and he originates from the Habsburg line. The one that is, the sixth one. So when he becomes in charge of Europe, and by the way, he's not jockeying to just be the king of the United Kingdom. Prince Charles has much bigger goals. If you've been following his life, he believes that he needs to be the overarching monarch of the entire European Union, of which is headquarters in Rome again. So they, those 10 kings, you know, would give him the power to be in that position as the monarch over all of the Holy Roman Empire, the ancient Holy Roman Empire, and, and ties it together. Uh, So his name matches that. By the way, if you go back into Revelation 13 and you just take for his name, you just insert the word Charles, the verse makes perfect sense. It's the number of a Charles. It makes perfect sense. And knowing the names of the emperors and these seven kings as Charles is one of the clues that opens it up uh, for us. There's a whole series of other things that go with it. That isn't just the only thing that lends itself uh, to the suggestion that he is a likely candidate to be the beast, to be the anti-Messiah for us. And as I've said to everyone, you know, we cannot declare that he is because it's not the time yet. He will be revealed to the world shortly after the start of the Great Tribulation. That's when he comes to power. He doesn't come to power before that. The scriptures other verses that talk about him, that he's a prince on whom the honor of kingship has not yet been conferred. Prince Charles is the heir apparent to Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth has not abdicated her throne. He is a prince whose the honor of kingship has not yet been conferred. And he's interested in Europe. He's interested in globalism issues. And he's very involved with those things. And he's very involved with the other royal families throughout Europe. When they were first forming the European Union, he was making a very impassioned argument. We need a constitutional monarchy as the overarching government of the EU. The EU turned him down and decided on a parliamentary process uh, for it and kept regional leaders Um, of the various nations. This is the political intrigue that's been going on in Europe in the course of our generation. If we were to understand the prophecy correctly, things are going to shift in Europe. We're going to see a shift in the political landscape, and we're going to see that to be the foundation and the base for the coming forth of the anti-Messiah, so that he will have power uh, to do the things that the prophecy speaks of. Now, it says that he's going to be in conflict with the woman. You know, the beast will rise up against the woman. Right now, Europe is kind of controlled by the Pope and the Catholic Church. Um, I think you're going to see a great conflict with Europe and the leadership of Europe under the Animessiah, They're going to come against the church in Rome, and they'll do great harm. And it will be part of the process of judgment uh, falling upon Babylon. Uh, the church is the one that says, we're the queen of heaven. We will live forever. We'll never have the loss of widowhood because we're the queen of heaven. You know, they actually they make that claim. Do you remember the prophecies saying, oh, I, even though you say that, this is judgment that will be coming upon you. They use that exact language to describe themselves. So while this, this area here appears to be very symbolic, the reality is these are the literal descriptions of things that exist historically and exist in the world today. When John wrote this, these things didn't exist. They do exist, though, in our day. And it is a description of things that exist now. Let me get you a little bit into chapter 18 before we conclude this lesson. Uh, Chapter 18, verse 1, And after these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become the dwelling place of demons and a prison of unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sexua- sensuality. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come up out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins, that you may not receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities, Pay her back, even as she has paid, and give back to her double according, according to her deeds in the cup, which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her, to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow, and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and they will be burned up with fire, and the Lord God who judges her is strong, and the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, and standing in a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city of Babylon! The strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes any more, cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen, and purple and silk and scarlet, and every kind of citron wood, and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood. and bronze, and iron, and marble, and cinnamon, and spice, and incense, and perfume, and frankincense, and wine, and olive oil, and fine flour, and wheat, and cattle, and sheep, and cargoes of horses, and chariots, and slaves, and human lives, and at the fruit that you long that has gone from you, and all things that are luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. The merchants of these, who became rich from them, will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, alas, who is clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and, and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste, and every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor, as many as have Make their living by the sea, stood at a distance, and they were crying out, and they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads, and were crying out, weeping and mourning, and saying, Woe, woe, the great city in which all um, had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she's been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, because God pronounced judgment for you against her. Uh, You can take chapter 18 right now, and you can go on to television. And when somebody asks you, could you describe complete economic collapse of the Western world, how would you describe it? Just read Revelation chapter 18. It describes the complete economic collapse of the Western world. The merchants can't sell anything anymore. Nothing is being shipped anymore. Everybody is suddenly poor. Everything has been laid waste. There's nothing they can do about it. It's absolutely taken the Western world, are you ready for this, back to the Stone Age. That's the judgment that's coming. That's the judgment that will result from the Great Tribulation. Now do you see why the Lord says, come up out of her, my people? Don't be involved with that anymore. Now, you're all wondering, well, how in the world do we escape that? How do we escape it? Well, the escape plan is very simple. It's modeled after the children of Israel leaving Egypt. Uh, We pack up and we leave the cities. as As Ezekiel said, we go into the wilderness of the peoples. We go into the countryside. We get out of the cities. And there we set up our sukkah, our temporary dwelling place. And the Lord leads us and delivers us from all of the different judgments and people that are going on in the world at that time. It's called the greater exodus. It results in us going to the promised land, but it results in all of the other peoples and nations and peoples and tribes and tongues being severely judged. The book of Revelation, all of its judgments, are building to this point. Building to when mankind will stand up and say, just like the the magician stood up and told Pharaoh, when they said you have to yield the Lord, Egypt is destroyed. Well, these will stand up and say, will you now repent? The whole world you were living in is wasted. It's done. It's nothing as to what it was before. Will they repent then? Will they turn to the Lord? Well, we will see. But I have my doubts. And most of it, I think, is going to turn in hatred against God, which is where they already were. But this will be manifest to us. Two very powerful chapters that speak to the judgment of Babylon and how the Antimessiah will be built up and his power base will come from that. He's a king over destruction. His kingdom will be totally destroyed. Um, That's the reason why he's called the son of perdition. Perdition means utter destruction. He's the son of a kingdom with utter destruction. And the destruction and the judgment not only comes from him and the pressing that he does of the people, but also comes from God when he judges Babylon, and Babylon is fallen. Amen? Amen. So we'll look forward to uh, the conclusion of Chapter uh, 18 and beginning into Chapter 19 in our next program. Shalom to all of you.